You are listening to Big Things Done Podcast, turning ideas into action. to a special edition episode of the Big Things Done podcast. My name is Andrew Glover. I am your host, and I'll get into why it's a special edition in just a little bit. We're going to be doing a book review, which is something that we've never done before here on the podcast, but I'm super excited to do it, something I've wanted to do for a while, and I'm really excited to share with you a book that's been instrumental to me in my life, as well as many other people that I know, Uh, and I'm excited to share that with you in just a little bit. Before we do that, though, just want to say welcome to everyone who's listening, especially if you're new. Thanks for joining us. This podcast exists because I believe two things. I believe that every one of us wants to go do something big with our life, whether that's personal, like getting a degree or losing weight, getting in better shape, or just becoming a better person in general, or that could be something like starting your own company or making a huge difference in the company or organization that you work in right now, making a big difference in the community or the church or the school that you're a part of. No matter what it is, every one of us wants to go do something big in our lives. And not only do I believe that we want to go do those big things, the second thing I believe is that every one of us can go do those big things. And this podcast specifically exists to inspire you to go do something big and give you the tools to actually make it a reality so that we're not people who just talk about and dream about doing something big, but we're people of action. We're people who actually make a difference in the organizations and the places that we work and live, and we are better people because of the actions that we take, and we leave the world a better place. And that's honestly my goal for this podcast and all the resources that I put out there. Uh, Not only do I have this podcast, but I also have a blog on my website where I talk about things that are going on in my life and things I'm struggling with with and winning with and hoping to share that with you. Uh, I also have a leadership class because being a leader is a huge part of doing big things in our life and our organizations. So if being a leader is something you're passionate about and maybe that's something that you're kind of new to, this whole leadership game, love for you to go to my website and check out some of the resources I have and the class that I have about how to become a great leader from day zero with no leadership experience at all. I remember being there and, and that's why I created the class is to help people become great leaders and do amazing, huge things in their lives. Well, speaking of doing amazing and huge things in our lives and my life in particular, one of the resources that I've used and and have looked to for inspiration and guidance in the big things that I'm doing in my life is this book I'm holding in my hand here called Extreme Ownership. Now, I don't know if you've heard of Extreme Ownership before, or maybe you've read it. Hopefully you have. It's an absolutely phenomenal book, so much so that I've decided to spend a podcast doing a book review about it. This book has changed the way I view personal development, the way that I conduct myself as a leader. It's given me a lot of new tools that I've used to successfully lead organizations like my class as the class president or uh, helping in some consulting roles from a program management perspective. 
And, you know, I'll go out on a limb and say that I think this is the best leadership book that has been written in the past 15, 20 years. I truly believe that, and I'm willing to stand by that statement. It's just a phenomenal book. Um, so let's dive into it a little bit. I want to give you an overview of the book in general, um, and then I'm going to break it down and actually kind of go section by section through it, give you little bits and pieces of the book, uh, what it, they cover, what are some of the topics, some of the applications that I drew out of the book. Uh, if you haven't read it, don't worry. I'm not going to spoil anything for you. I'm, I'm going to leave a lot of content still in the book uh, for you to go and digest on your own. But I also think at the same time, after you get done listening to this podcast, you're going to want to go out and buy the book because there's so much great stuff in here uh, that can really impact you and take you up to another level, whether that's personally or as a leader. So I hope you go out and buy that book uh, and go forward from there. Just as a disclaimer, uh, as we get started here, I have no association with the authors or the publishing company. I, I don't even think these guys know who I am or that I exist. So um, there, there's no financial gain here. I'm not doing it uh, as a promotion. I'm doing it truly because I think this is an amazing book. So let's dive right in. Extreme Ownership. This book was published in 2015, and it was written by two guys who are prior Navy SEAL officers. Their names are Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. And just for the record, I think Jocko Willink, like Jocko, what a sweet name that is like man I thought Andrew was kind of cool but Jocko like man that's awesome um, both of these guys they are phenomenal individuals great Americans and uh, they served as Navy SEALs uh, as I mentioned Jocko served as a task unit commander and Leif served as a platoon commander so they worked together within the hierarchy of the military uh, serving as SEALs and most notably they led task unit bruiser in Ramadi Iraq in 2006 now, I don't know if you know much about the Iraq war. I'm not going to get into a lot of it. And, and the book doesn't necessarily either. But Ramadi in 2006 was the most dangerous city in Iraq at the time. Uh, Ramadi is a little bit west of Baghdad. But Ramadi was a stronghold of the insurgent force at the time and was extremely dangerous for uh, U.S. and coalition forces for, for quite a period of time. Um, so Jocko entered into this situation, into this city, and they spearheaded multiple missions um, and also integrated with marine and army units as well on the ground to take back the city of Ramadi and eventually make it a safe place. So uh, after serving in the military, the authors Jocko and, and Leif, they departed the military and they founded a company called Echelon Front. You might have heard of them. Uh, they're a very successful leadership consulting company. They work with Fortune 500 companies and startups, and they also host events like The Muster. Uh, Jocko has also published multiple books, which Extreme Ownership is one of them. He also has The Dichotomy of Leadership, which just came out a few months ago in about September of 2018. Uh, I've just read that book as well. Phenomenal. Probably do another review on that in a little while. Jocko also hosts his own podcast called The Jocko Podcast. Great content there as well. So Jocko and Leif, they do a lot in the leadership consulting and personal development space. Um, they're very well known, have a very successful track record. Their team is growing. So it's really cool just to listen to them and get to see what they have to say. Being a prior military myself, obviously, maybe a little bit jaded, but uh, I think the world of these guys, they're pretty cool. So that's a little bit about the authors and kind of what their experience is and where they're coming from, what they're doing right now. Let's talk a little bit more about the specifics of the book itself. Extreme Ownership, it's about 300 pages. And I want to read you here the reason that they said that they wrote the book. So uh, check this out. It said, this book is about leadership. It was written for leaders of teams, large and small, for men and women, for any person who aspires to better themselves. 
Though it contains exciting accounts of SEAL combat operations, this book is not a war memoir. It is instead a collection of lessons learned from our experiences to help other leaders achieve victory. If it serves as a useful guide to leaders who aspire to build, train, and lead high-performance winning teams, then it has accomplished its purpose. Uh, so that's pretty cut and dried. That's why they wrote the book, to help inspire and train and equip leaders to lead and win in any situation, no matter where they are. After reading the book, the content in here uh, absolutely lives up to the reason for them making this book. What is extreme ownership? I think that's a very natural question that a lot of people ask. You know, the, the title of the book is kind of interesting. So let me just read for you real quick how they define this concept of extreme ownership, and then we'll get into some more mechanics of the book. When they talk about extreme ownership, here's what they mean. Leaders must own everything in their world. There is no one else to blame. You know, I think that is extremely powerful and a great way to set up the rest of this book. They believe that everything that happens when you're in a leadership position, it is your fault as the leader, whether that's good or bad. And that's something that is pretty hard for us to grasp sometimes, especially as leaders. We want to place blame in other places. Uh, this book is not going to be a good book for you if that's what you really like to do, uh, because they're going to call out many times where leaders decide to place blame on someone else and just show that that's absolutely not the case. Uh, and instead, they show what to do as a leader to take ownership of the situation and turn things around and be successful. So that's the reason for writing the book. That's also what extreme ownership is as the title, kind of the definition there. Just in general, before we dive into the specific chapters, the book is very well written. It's clear. It's easy to understand. There's not a lot of big words uh, or, or philosophical language. There's a lot of military stories, but it's also written so that you don't have to be familiar with the military to understand what's going on. There's not a lot of abbreviations or secret code words or anything like that. It's also not a war memoir where they're just talking about the good old days in back in the war. That's not it at all. They use military examples and scenarios to illustrate leadership points. I'm going to break that down a little bit uh, in some of the chapters. Uh, the book is divided into three main sections. Part one is called Winning the War Within. Part two is The Laws of Combat. And part three is called Sustaining Victory. And there's multiple chapters within each part, and each chapter is structured in a very similar manner. Each chapter opens up with a military or combat depiction that introduces and illustrates a leadership principle. These stories are, are they're gripping and they're real, and they share both successes and failures and the reality of combat. So it's not something that's sugar-coated to show what should happen. It actually almost every time shows what shouldn't happen and then what they did to change to make a better result. After that opening of a military story or, or scenario, there's about a page where they outline and briefly discuss the leadership principle they're trying to get across. Uh, things like decentralized command, uh, prioritize and execute, or many of the other topics that we're going to talk about. They use the, about a page to describe that. And then they close every chapter with an application of that specific leadership principle 
to business. So they apply it not only in a military setting, but also in a business and civilian setting, which I think is really cool because as somebody who's been in the military and now in in the civilian world, it's great to see both of those perspectives because I can identify with both. And I think it's really great for us to see and, and read that as most of our listeners being civilians to really understand how these principles apply in our everyday lives or something very close to that. So I think it's a really cool way that they've structured the chapters. And I got a lot out of it almost just because of that in and of itself. All right. So I promised you we were going to get into the actual content of the book. And so let's dive right in. We're going to go into part one, which is called Winning the War Within. And these chapters within part one really focus on the fundamental building blocks and mindset necessary to lead and to win. And uh, I think this is a really great way to open up the the book because you, I think for any sort of successful leader, you have to start personally with your own mentality and your own way of approaching life and your situations. And so that's what part one does, and it does it really well. First chapter in part one is called Extreme Ownership, and I think that's a great way to, to open up the book by the, the title chapter. Extreme Ownership, you know, we've talked about the definition a little bit, but the illustration that is used in the opening part of this chapter is is very powerful. So uh, basically, shorthand version of this is a, a blue-on-blue or friendly fire incident that happened in Ramadi while Jocko was the commander of his SEAL team. Uh, a couple SEAL teams were uh, operating in a very close proximity, and uh, some confusion had happened between some other units that they were working with. Uh, plans had changed. Coordination wasn't passed. Uh, properly, so nobody was on the same page with what was really happening and what was going on on the ground. And bottom line, a bunch of Navy SEALs and Army and Marines ended up trying to kill a small sniper nest of Navy SEALs who were on the same team, but they just didn't know it. And they were very close to killing each other. And in fact, the book mentions a, an Iraqi soldier who was a part of a detachment of that unit at the time was actually killed. And so it was just a huge, terrible misunderstanding and just a terrible event that could have ended a lot more tragically. And so as anything terrible that happens in the military goes, there's obviously an investigation that happens immediately right after to understand what went wrong, who is responsible, and what are we going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Jocko, as the commander of the unit, went through the entire scenario from from top to bottom, left to right, up and down, and evaluated everything and had to come up with a presentation for the investigating officer and, and the overall commanding officer to give them. And Jocko outlines in this chapter that as he was doing that and coming up with what went wrong, one thing was really missing, and it was a person or, or, or a thing to blame. What was to blame for all this going wrong? And Jocko had the realization that as the commander, he was the one who was to blame. Now, he wasn't the one who changed the plans. He wasn't the one who missed the coordination. He wasn't the one pulling the trigger, but he was the leader. And as the leader, it was his job to make sure that all was going to go according to plan. And it's his responsibility as the leader to lead his team well and make sure they accomplish their mission. And when they fail, they fail because of him as the leader. And so extreme ownership is exactly that. It's identifying that there's a problem here. And as the leader, it's my fault. And I am the only one responsible for all of this. And what's more, you don't just admit that it's your fault and and take responsibility for the actions, but you resolve as a leader who takes extreme ownership to do everything in your power to make sure that doesn't happen again. That is extreme ownership. 
And I think the chapter outlines that beautifully, not only in the military context, but also in the civilian world. And boy, I tell you, extreme ownership is is such a powerful concept. Really glad these guys thought of it and put it into words like this because it's very powerful. So great way to open up the chapter. I guarantee you, you just read that chapter alone. That's enough fodder to get you fired up and changing a lot of things in your life and how you approach situations, not only in your personal life, but how you work with your coworkers, how you deal with bad situations at work. The next chapter in part one was is called No Bad Teams, Only Bad Leaders. And boy, I tell you, this was a wake-up call for me. It's an excellent perspective on the impact that a leader has on their team. I'm not going to get into the specifics of the chapter, but I'll just say this. Don't read this chapter if you're not ready to take a really good look at yourself as a leader. Like I said, this was a really big wake-up call for me because the chapter really pounds home the principle that teams will only fail because they're not led well, right? A team who doesn't perform to their best, a team who doesn't do very well, it's not because they lack skills or it's just because they're unmotivated. No, it's because their leader isn't doing a good job. They're not leading well. And and this principle goes just perfectly in hand with extreme ownership. And it's a great wake-up call for any leader. If your team's not doing very well, well, guess what? It's because of you as the leader. It's because of me as the leader. And that's a tough one. Uh, So great chapter. I thought that was a really good one as well. One of the last chapters in this part, part one, uh, is called Check the Ego. And uh, this principle, I think it kind of got, I kind of overlooked it at first. Uh, Like, yeah, okay, check the ego, be humble. Got it. Everyone talks about being humble as a leader. Very important. But as I thought about it a little bit more, I think checking the ego, that I think that principle is actually the critical piece to making extreme ownership work and click in your mind. As we mentioned in the extreme ownership chapter, Jocko, in his illustration, he had to admit that it was his fault. Even though he wasn't the one pulling the trigger, he wasn't the one who didn't communicate all of the plans properly. He didn't specifically do those things, but he was still at fault for that. That takes a lot of humility. That takes a lot of swallowing your pride, especially if you have to admit that in public. If you want to truly actually take extreme ownership in something, you have to know how to check your ego and put that all aside and admit when something is your fault and take responsibility for it. That's really hard. It was really hard for the mid-level manager that Jocko and Leif worked with, and they outlined that actually in the last part of this chapter. So definitely read that chapter as well. It's a pretty good story, and I think it outlines it perfectly. A lot of leaders I could think of, myself included, who uh, who would really benefit from this chapter of, hey, better check the ego, buddy. If you want to lead properly, you've got to stay humble. Um, let's move into part two. Uh, part two of the book uh, shifts gears a little bit, and, and they move away from the personal foundations of, of being a great leader to what they call the laws of combat. Now, the laws of combat, these are four distinct concepts that they submit are key to making a team achieve high performance and domination. Uh, These are probably the most important chapters in the book, and I mean that sincerely because they talk about how you actually go and lead people and teams. Uh, I'll cover them briefly here, just like we did in the other chapters, but they're really worth reading, diving into. Honestly, you could do five podcasts about each chapter alone, just from different angles. I have actually reread these chapters multiple times between the first time I read it and right now. Really great stuff here. All right, so the first chapter and their first law of combat is called cover and move. Uh, Now, this concept is essentially teamwork. Now, 
if you don't know anything about the military at all, it's totally fine. This this concept of cover and move, it, it comes from the military, specifically in the idea of if you wanted to, if you're in a battle, if you're in a combat situation, and you wanted to move from, from one point to another point, let's say across a field or something like that, or between buildings, uh, and the enemy's shooting at you, one way to be able to move from one point to another without being shot at is to have your buddy stand up and start shooting at the enemy. When you do that, the enemy will immediately duck their head so that they're not shot at. And while they're ducking their head, you can move across the field or to the next building uh, without being shot at. That's what cover and move is. And I really like the wording here that they chose. They didn't choose teamwork, right, where two people are working together. They chose cover and move. And I really like the fact they used the wording cover and move because it describes two groups of people not only working together, but taking deliberate action to help the other person out. You know, I think a lot of times we think teamwork is just not arguing and just getting along within the office and not hating each other. Well, yeah, there's maybe a little bit of that, but if you really want to lead a successful team, you have to breed a culture that's all about proactively doing things to help your team and the teams around you be successful. This is things like staying late at the office to get that report done to, so you can get it to that other department that you don't work for, or you don't really work with on a regular basis, but you want to get it to them on time because you want the overall team to be successful, right? Or, or this is like helping out that classmate who is really struggling with that specific class, right? You're not going to get a better grade for helping them, but you're a team and you're working together to become a professional or to become a, a degree holder in something, and you're going to help them be successful. That's what being a leader is. And and that's the type of culture that a leader has to generate and promote if you want to have a successful team. So cover and move. I love the proactive nature of this chapter. It's way more than just teamwork. It's about how do you support and help the people around you. Really liked this one. The next chapter, uh, which is the second law of combat, their second leadership principle, is called simple. This principle is all about ensuring that your team understands exactly what is going on and what is required to succeed. One of the points that I thought they really did a good job bringing out in this chapter is that, you know, it doesn't matter if you thought you presented the material well. All that matters is if your team understands the plan exactly. Right, you might have prepared your presentation or prepared your strategy very well. You might have had a really big think tank that helped you bring all the pieces together. And it might be a really good plan. And you might think it looks good and you might think it was communicated well. But if the people in your team don't know what to do from that or aren't very clear on what they need to go do next, your communication failed and your plan, unfortunately, is worthless. Leaders have to work to keep their plans and communication as simple, clear, and concise as possible. And this is extremely important, especially in the complex world that many of us find ourselves as leaders, right? Leading big projects and, and teams with a lot of stuff going on. We have to keep things simple. Very intuitive concept, but a very important one. And I think they outline that very well. All right, so moving along to the third law of combat, the third leadership principle that they talk about here in Extreme Ownership. The chapter is called Prioritize and Execute. And of the four laws of combat, this one is my absolute favorite. And here's why. I think this is the principle or the action that separates average leaders from excellent leaders. Uh, and I've seen this in my own personal life wherever I've been a leader and I've been alongside other leaders, the idea of prioritizing and executing, man, it just, it makes a total difference in how an organization functions. Let's be real. 
every leader that is leading an organization or doing something big, we are going to have times where we are tasked with multiple things that require all of our attention, right? We've all been there where everything seems to be coming down and everything seems to be important at the same time, right? I've got 20 different things that I need to go do or our team needs to go do and they all need my attention. And, you know, those are times that are really stressful. It's very easy to panic or to throw your arms up and just not know what to do or or worse yet, even just not make a decision because you don't even know where to start. Everything's so important and there's so much going on. Well, in that scenario, The principle of prioritize and execute, let me tell you, it comes in perfectly in that type of scenario. Prioritize and execute, it goes like this. You simply need to take an inventory of everything that you need to go do. So all 20 of those things that you have to go do, take an inventory of it, write it down. The next thing you do is prioritize the actions. Which one do you need to do first? And that might be hard at first to kind of figure out. I mean, well, they're all important. They're all supposed to be done yesterday. Well, as a leader, it's your job to figure out which one do you need to go after first. You can't do all of them right now. So figure out which one you got to go do first, second, third, and prioritize everything you need to do. The last thing then out of that whole list is, well, you guessed it, execute. Go do number one. Start with number one, go to number two, then go on to number three. Prioritize and execute. It's a really simple concept and it almost seems kind of elementary just talking about it here, but it's so applicable. And and oftentimes as leaders, we lose sight of that in the moment, right? We develop this really narrow tunnel vision and we lose sight of everything that's going on and, and what needs to be done when. A great leader is able to step back, relax, and inventory everything they need to do, decide what's most important, and then motivate and move their team to execute on that first thing. So prioritize and execute, man, I thought that was a great chapter, really hit home for me. And I think if you're a leader right now and you're doing okay and you want to make yourself become a little bit better and and level up a little bit from a leadership perspective, this is a chapter that I think will really make a difference for you there. All right. And so the fourth and final law of combat within this part two section here uh, is called decentralized command. And, you know, honestly, this is the area that, man, yeah, I struggle probably with the most. And the reason for that is because I'm the kind of guy who thinks that something's got to be done right. I got to do it myself. Uh, Maybe, maybe you're the same way. Maybe you're not. Hopefully you're not. But I tell you what, the problem with that type of thinking that I have, and that's just kind of been ingrained in me from a very young age, from a leadership perspective, it's very toxic, right? Because my team will only be as good as I can be on my own if I take this mentality that nothing can be done right unless I do it myself, right? If I have a team of people, but yet I have to go do everything as a leader, well, my team isn't very successful. My team is only as good as me, right? And, and I, I cannot be as successful as all of my team members put together working together. There's no way I could be that successful, right? And so decentralized command is the way to make your team the most successful, the most effective. And that's through creating a leadership structure within your team and then assigning full responsibility to your team leaders. Now, you, you know, you've probably heard, especially in motivational speeches or, or in leadership training classes, that as a leader, you have to delegate. And that's very true. But I think a lot of times we think delegation, we think, well, just making a task list and then just handing it off to a person and say, here, go do task one, two, three, four, and five. Well, that's unfortunately not the greatest way to go do things. And I think they do a very good job of distinguishing that it's not just giving somebody a task list. This isn't just delegating a task to somebody else to just do your work for you. Decentralized command is about having leaders within your team that you can give full responsibility for an, an idea or, or a project 
and say, hey, go run with this. This is my intent of what I want to have accomplished at the very end. I don't care how you do it, but go get it done. You leave it to them to figure out which tasks they need to go do, how they need to go do it, and, and develop the final product to give back to you. The difference between decentralized command and delegation is is kind of small, but that difference is still crucial to developing and growing a successful, effective, dominant team. Don't make the team as good as you are. Make the team as good as they can be together by giving them the responsibility to go accomplish something and develop their own tasks and make the mission happen. So the four laws of combat, cover and move, simple, prioritize and execute, and decentralize command. I tell you what, I love every one of those concepts. I've probably embraced some of them more than others throughout my leadership experience, and I'm working really hard to input all four of those into every aspect of my leadership positions, uh, no matter where I find myself. And it's made a big difference. It really has in how I interact with my teammates and how I lead people. Uh, It makes a difference. And so I think you're going to find a lot of value just in those four chapters alone. All right, guys, last part here of the Extreme Ownership book is called Sustaining Victory. Uh, And this is described as tactics for leaders to stay on their game and continue to win. So if you kind of remember the progression of the book, part one talked about just building that mental attitude and and stance personally for for being a successful leader. So that's talking about building extreme ownership into your life, about the importance of being a leader who's humble. In part two, they outline the four laws of combat, right, which are the four leadership principles that really drive any successful leader to create a great dominant team. And now they kind of move into part three, which is the sustaining victory part, which is how do you continue the momentum after you've developed all of those principles in your personal life and as a leader? Uh, This section was really great. and, And I thought there were some really good personal aspects, especially the last chapter, which we'll get to in just a little bit, just about how to make sure you continue staying on the path, not getting complacent. One of the chapters in this part talks about how to create really good plans. And if you're somebody who is in a situation where you, you typically have a lot of problems or issues that you need to solve and come up with strategies to, to overcome challenges, that's a great chapter for you to really sit down and and systematically develop a plan that's going to work and is able to be communicated and executed properly. There's another chapter in there about dealing with uncertainty and indecision and how to conquer that. That's something that plagues so many of us, right? And about there's so many things I could go do. I don't know which decision to go make. And it's actually very similar in theme to the prioritize and execute chapter a few chapters back. Um, but it's really good to sit about understanding what does it mean to be uncertain about a decision and What is the difference between indecision and decision and how detrimental not making a decision can be as opposed to just making the wrong decision and then course correcting along the way? Um, So really good stuff there, especially if you struggle with indecision. That's a great chapter to check out. Um, My favorite chapter in this part is about leading up and down the chain of command. Now, chain of command, that's a military term that refers to the very hierarchical structure that the military has when it comes to leadership, right? So you have the lowest levels at the bottom and they report to the next level up and then level up after that and the level up after that. And it's very hierarchical. So the lowest level on the totem pole can't go all the way up to the top and go talk to the the main general in charge. There's a a chain of command that issues and, and problems are solved and and communicating up and down. And I really like this chapter because no matter where you are on the totem pole of your company or your organization, you will have people who you lead as well as people who you follow. And I think 
this chapter brilliantly tackles how to do both of those effectively. You know, you're going to have people who report to you and you're going to have to learn how to deal with them, right? From the kind of the top down perspective as the leader. But at the same time, you have to know how to navigate talking up to your superiors as the leader. You're not going to be able to get anything done if you can't work effectively with them to get the resources you need to get to your people who you lead, right? And so working down and up the chain of command is very important. And that chapter really outlines some good tactics and some good things to think about. So that's where you find yourself in life, kind of having to balance between the two, the superior and and the people who you lead. Great chapter, a lot of good stuff there for you. There's also a really great uh, closing chapter I just mentioned a little bit ago about discipline equals freedom. And I tell you what, number one, it's very similar to a lot of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, which is why I wanted to bring it into the podcast here as a book review. Um, But if you are struggling with just not performing very well in your life, I don't know what that might be for you, but if there is something that you're just not... You're just not leveling up. You're not reaching that next potential. You might not be losing, but you're just not winning either. This chapter right at the end is dynamite for you because it talks about the importance and the value of discipline in your life and how not only does it make you a better person, but it actually makes you somebody who's free to be able to go do whatever you want to go do. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like discipline, which is rigidity and and structure. How does that make me free? Well, Let me just tell you, read the chapter. I think you're going to see very quickly how being disciplined and sticking to a routine and a schedule and and doing things that you don't want to do, but you know you have to do anyway, and actually doing them, that makes a huge difference in your life. If you read that chapter and you still don't understand, send me an email. I'd love to talk you through it because it's changed the way I live and and I've changed the way I do a lot of things in my life because of this chapter. So guys, that really wraps up the three sections of the book, part one, part two, and part three of Extreme Ownership. Hopefully you guys are inspired to be better leaders just from listening to some of those aspects. I fully subscribe to 100% of what they were talking about Um, as a leader. I think a lot of the podcasts prior to this kind of hint at and touch on different aspects of this book. So I wanted to bring this in just just to kind of give you another perspective. Overall, phenomenal book. Loved it. And I think you guys should go out and get it. Uh, Buy it. Buy it for a friend. Buy it for your team. Um, Have a conversation about it. I think it's a great way to uh, ignite some, some performance and ignite some passion in the people you work with. I wanted to close really just by mentioning another key aspect of the book that it's not really explicitly stated. It's not its own chapter, but something I thought that was really important and maybe just kind of our our application as we close, not that there weren't any applications that we could talk about or take away uh, from this book already. One of the key aspects of the book that I thought was really cool, but like I said, obviously never really explicitly expressed is that whenever Jocko or Leif, these two really awesome Navy SEAL guys, whenever they talk about other units that their task unit bruiser worked with, you know, there was never any negative connotation. And I thought that was really interesting. Now, obviously, this is a a book that they're going to publish worldwide, and so they don't want to call anybody out or say anybody's a dirtbag. But, you know, number one, they're Navy SEALs. They're, They're pretty much at the top of the totem pole. They're the tip of the spear when it comes to 
combat effectiveness in the United States military. You know, but they're also the Navy, and, and the Navy has a very strong inter-service rivalry with the Air Force and the Army, and it would have been very easy for them to poke fun or maybe degrade some of the Army units or some of the Marine units that they worked with. You know, yeah, they're, they were good guys, but, you know, they weren't as trained, they weren't as good as we were, right? But, you know, that never actually is the case. And if you listen to Jocko's podcast, if you read his other books, if you listen to what Leif talks about as well, they never, ever degrade anybody else that they work with. I thought that was really interesting. You know, it made me think about my own thoughts and my own words when I'm describing other people that I work with in in maybe another department or another classmate or another team that I work with. Sometimes, you know, I speak negatively about them. You know, sometimes I degrade them, maybe because they're not as smart as me or because they don't work as hard as me. Sometimes I'm very quick to describe how they're not as good as me or what their faults are as opposed to what their strengths are. If you think about it for yourself, do you find that to be the case? The first time that you describe somebody to your spouse or to your friend, do you describe them as a dirtbag? Do you describe them as kind of stupid? Or do you describe them as a really good person? Or do you, stri- do you describe their positive qualities instead of their negative ones? You know, I think one of the biggest hidden reasons why Jocko and Leif are so successful, not only in the military as SEALs, but as the founders and leaders of their company, Echelon Front, I think why they're so successful is that they treat everyone that they meet, whether they're on their team or not, with respect. They identify everyone's strengths and weaknesses, and then they roll all that together into a winning strategy. I want to ask you as we close kind of the application here, are you doing that right now at work or in your organization or at home right now? Are you doing that with everyone you interact with? Are you looking at everyone with respect, taking in their strengths and weaknesses and rolling that all in together to create a successful team? Or are you more quick to degrade and just kind of put off to the side somebody who maybe doesn't work as hard as you or maybe doesn't seem as dedicated as you? Because I tell you, you could read this entire book on extreme ownership and really want to be a great leader. But if you go in with an attitude that doesn't have respect for your teammates or the people you work with, if you go in looking for the negative things before the positive things, you're never going to be able to create a dominant team. And so I just want to encourage you as a kind of a hidden theme that I noticed throughout this book, evaluate and check how you are working with the people around you starts with how you'll view them. Do you respect them? Do you find the negative or the positive qualities? As a leader, you absolutely have to be somebody who's showing respect and making the good and the bad of every person you work with, making that work together for the betterment of your team. So I just wanted to give you that application here as we close. I think it's going to make you a better leader. It's something I'm working on personally, something I need to get better at, not describing people immediately as negative. So yeah, I think that's an important application to close besides going out and purchasing extreme ownership, giving that a read and changing your life that way as well. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, It means a lot to me that you listen and that you support the podcast. If you like what I'm doing, all I ask is that you leave a review uh, or just let me know how I'm doing. If there's something I could be doing better, something that you would like to hear from me, some other topic or some other book you'd like me to review, drop me a note. Let me know. Check out my website, bigthingsdonepodcast.com. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'd love to tailor the content for you guys to make you successful because I believe not only do we want to do big things, but we all can do big things and I want to help you be successful along the way. Well, that's all we've got today. We'll talk to you guys again soon. And until next time, keep doing big things.